Welcome to The Patient Podcast, a series of conversations with innovators, HR leaders, and benefit advisors about how they're solving benefit challenges and building healthier communities by helping people access and afford healthcare. Hi there, I'm Laura Cave, and today I'm joined once again by our VP of Product Strategy, J.R. Clark. How are you doing today, J.R.? I am doing great today, Laura. Thanks for having me. Of course. So today we're going to be talking to a healthcare industry veteran about how he's working to solve the absolute nightmare of medical billing. Our guest is Aman Magoon, a previous co-founder of Naya, who is now co-founder of Adonis, a revenue intelligence platform that helps providers simplify their billing and collections processes so they can focus on providing care. Aman should be a familiar face to anyone who follows Patients Magazine as Aman was featured in his role as VP of product with Naya uh, last year. Aman and his brother Akash left Naya last year to launch Adonis, a startup focused on disentangling healthcare payments using AI and data science. So today we're going to talk to Aman a little bit more about his latest venture. Um, but JR, before we get into that, I was wondering if you could take a second to talk about how much of a logistical challenge medical billing is for providers as well as insurers, um, you know, given your background behind the scenes at, at one of the nation's largest carriers. Of course, Laura. Um, so before we actually like, jump too deep into it, let's take a quick step back for our listeners and talk about what we mean by medical coding and medical building, billing in the first place. So you think about when you go into the door at your doctor's office for an appointment, you know, you're sitting in the doctor's office and you're talking to them and the doctor is usually taking notes while you're talking to her, right? Like, and so what she's actually doing is basically detailing in your medical record why you're there for a visit. So maybe you're there to talk about back pain or shortness of breath or something along those lines. And, and then she's also kind of documenting what services are being prescribed or performed. So like maybe writing a referral for you to go get imaging or, or even doing an in-office in EKG. Right. So, yeah, so the point of all of this really is that the medical record is then used as the basis for all medical coding and medical billing. So really two things come out of these doctor's notes in your medical record. The first is diagnosis codes. And this is where you're going to hear the term ICD-10. Um, and so right. what those are, it's kind of it's the International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems. It's like the long version, the, the fancy name for it, but ICD-10 is what it goes by. So what medical coders do is they take the doctor's notes and they assign these ICD-10 codes, which describe your condition then the location and severity of your condition, and then also if it's your first visit for this condition or a follow-up visit. And I might be wrong on this, but I don't think I'm too far off. Um, I think there are something like tens of thousands of these codes, or maybe even like you know, yeah. more than 100,000. So it's very big and very complicated, which is why you have folks that have to do like full-blown training in this kind of medical uh, coding. So the second thing that kind of comes out of these doctor's notes are procedure codes. So you'll often hear these referred to as either CPT codes or HICPICs. Um, what these codes are is they really describe what the doctor did for you during the visit. And insurers tend to use CPT codes. CMS tends to use HICPICs codes. But there are, these are often like overlapping in some cases and, um, and both can be used. But by and large, what happens after this is you've had your visit at the doctor. The doctor's office then submits what's called a claim, 
to the insurance company. And so just think of this as almost like a, if we were thinking about like a form or a piece of paper, it would have the information like office, uh, office, things like address and, you know, provider information, but also include some of your information, like your name, date of birth, and then all these codes that we just talked about, these ICD-10 codes and these procedure codes. And the insurance company takes a look at this and they check the information and they pair it against your insurance benefit to send something back to the doctor's office that tells the doctor's office how much the insurer is going to reimburse for your visit and then how much is left for you as the patient to pay so that then the doctor can turn around and, and bill you for what you owe for that portion of it. It's obviously okay. a big and complicated process when it comes down to it. Yeah. And it sounds like, so these, these procedure codes in particular are the ones when we talk about fee for service healthcare, this, these codes determine what are the fees, right? Right. Exactly. Okay. All right, cool. Well, um, I'm going to let Aman explain this more as we get into this interview. So, um, yeah, before we officially welcome him onto the show, I wanted to give you all uh, who are listening a little background on him. So as I mentioned earlier, Aman is the co-founder and chief product officer of Adonis, a company that's working to disentangle healthcare payments by using AI and data science to automate medical coding, billing, and reimbursement for medical providers. He was part of the founding team and VP of product at Naya, a platform that offers personalized benefit recommendations to employees based on their financial, mental, and physical needs. At Naya, he led product development from the pre-product, pre-seed stage through Series C in just two years, which is super impressive. Amon has also held positions on the product side with LiveRamp and in data science at Ernst & Young and Deloitte. Aman, welcome to the Patient Podcast. Laura, thanks for having me and good to meet you for the first time, JR. Of course. So uh, Aman, you and I go way back to when I first interviewed you in 2021 for the Better Benefits Podcast, and it's been a pleasure to see your evolution and progress. Um, I'm excited to, to properly catch up today and hear more about Adonis. Um, and But before we get into all of that, I always like to start with a question about your journey so that our listeners can really understand how you got here, what makes you tick. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how you got into the benefits space. I, I know uh, basically everybody I've ever interviewed says, I never imagined I would be here. Um, so how did you get into benefits? And you know, what did you learn at Naya? And then after, after building that, how did you make the difficult decision to move on and start something new? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm happy to share. And again, thank you for, thank you for having me. Um, so uh, I guess starting from the very beginning, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Uh, my first job out of college was actually in public sector consulting, as many of us who were uh, born and brought up in the, in the D.C. area tend to um, tend to go into. And uh, uh, while working in public sector consulting, I was exposed to the uh, massive uh, complexities associated with some of the healthcare like, complex in the United States. Mm -hmm. So had the opportunity to launch the Affordable Care Act back in, in 2012. And shortly thereafter, I uh, had the opportunity to work on some of the projects with the Department of Veterans Affairs, who unfortunately at that time were going through some major interoperability challenges um, that led to the untimely death of some of our beloved veterans. And uh, working on, on projects of, of, of that scale and size and also 
experiencing firsthand the uh, impact that that had on um, the administrative burden of healthcare, as well as uh, you know these 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 veterans that I mentioned, uh, really formed my initial uh, inspiration to wanting to make an impact in the space. Uh, and so, after a, a few years, uh, uh, after my uh, stint as a as a consultant, I became very passionate about finding ways to scale my impact uh, in consulting. As you know, um, you're tied to this concept of billable hours. And of course, the number of hours in my day are always going to be limited. And so therefore, I thought, hey, how can I scale my my impact if I have you know, a finite number of hours? And I realized that building software products was really the answer. Mm-hmm. And so I had the opportunity to move to New York, uh, uh, join a company called LiveRep that specialized in helping large brands and, and advertisers connect their first party data to a person's third party cookie, which really helped me understand the power of connecting data sets across different domains and what that can mean uh, in terms of personalization. And so this experience at LiveRamp, coupled with some of the background that I had working in healthcare as a public sector consultant, uh, allowed me to empathize very deeply with um, the challenge that we were getting ready to solve as a founding team at NIA. Uh, So I joined NIA in 2020 as the first employee. Um, My brother, Akash, who's now my co-founder, was co-founder of Naya, and so uh, as part of that early team, uh, we were really excited about stitching together all of the different areas of expertise that, uh, as a founding team, we had we had gathered over the years, and realized that connecting data and personalizing the way everyday Americans choose their benefits uh, was a problem that was really worth solving. So, if you think about the average American that's enrolling in benefits through their employer, they're making among what is oftentimes the most complex, but also most meaningful and consequential financial and, and uh, well-being related decisions they'll make in any given year um, or in, in that given year. And uh, realized that uh, a lot of these decisions were, ma- were being made in a vacuum of, of personalization and, and in a vacuum of a very sophisticated kind of product experience. A lot of folks are making um, the decisions on which health plan to enroll in, how to participate in an AHSA. Uh, how to contribute to a 401k, et cetera, um, in a kind of uh, vacuum of any sort of guidance. And so um, realized that fixing that problem was was uh, a challenging one and a complex one, but also one that you know we could get really passionate about. And so first went to market with our flagship product um, in uh, late 2020 and saw a lot of really great growth across really three uh, customer segments. So we worked with large employers and HR teams throughout the country. I had the opportunity to embed our software within some of the leading HR technology platforms. Uh, perhaps most relevant to what we're doing today at Adonis, also had the opportunity opportunity to support um, large payers in helping demystify the products that they were manufacturing. Uh, and we realized that to the degree that we could simplify and help consumers empathize with the products they're being presented with, insurance carriers uh, enjoyed you know, greater participation in, in the benefits that they were offering uh, and ultimately uh, a greater understanding of their end consumer. And so in working with some of these pairs, uh, Akash and I became very intimately familiar with the game of cat and mouse that's kind of uh, triggered when a provider is submitting a claim to a payer. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the incentive structure between what a provider um, is 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 looking to achieve, which is uh, uh, recouping revenue for the services that they've rendered 
And you think about the incentives of the payer, which is to you know ensure that there's no fraud and, and ensure that they're paying out exactly what that provider is due. Um, there's this game of cat and mouse where there's almost, uh, I won't say an advers- adversar- adversarial relationship, but <clears throat> a relationship that uh, oftentimes leads to a lot of uh, uh, burden and, and inefficiency. And so uh, it was around the uh, kind of close of our Series C at Naya, where we were valued at over half a billion dollars, um, that Akash and I became very, um, very inspired by the scale and the gravity of some of the revenue cycle challenges that our nation's providers face. Uh, and that's where, where the inception uh, of Adonis was, uh, was really formed. And so today, um, we've uh, had a lot of success so far on our journey with Adonis, working with, again, three different types of buyers. So we work with um, the mid-cap of healthcare, which we consider um, to be these single specialty practices that are oftentimes backed by a private equity firm and are looking to rapidly scale across the country and are looking for ways to make um, their operations more efficient. Uh, We work with digital health companies that uh, are uh, looking to, again, make their operations more efficient as they're coming out of this bull run of the pandemic and are now focused on uh, improving top line and bottom line revenue. And we also work with some large hospital systems as well. Um, And so yeah, it's been a tremendous journey from from start to finish. And in a lot of ways, um, the destination isn't always kind of clear, but in a lot of ways, it feels feels like this was destiny. Yeah, that's great. So so actually, you, know, you actually uh, got into a lot of the things I was hoping to ask you for the next step on this. So I'm curious, can you go a little bit deeper for us into kind of how Adonis is designed really to solve some of the problems you observed in the medical building? <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, I'd first love to maybe quantify uh, the problem itself. So if you think about the healthcare industry, it's unlike any other where you as a consumer, as a patient, go into a doctor's office, not knowing completely what services are going to be rendered. And that doctor, uh, that provider, isn't always going to know how much they can expect to uh, receive for the services that they they do ultimately um, perform. Uh, And this is because of the fact that there's a third-party payer. There's an insurance company that's that has a relationship with this provider in most cases. Uh, and um, what ends up happening is the, the provider and the insurance company are essentially contracted with one another uh, and have a relationship where they've agreed, uh, agreed to certain rates for certain services. And the uh, what happens post-patient encounter, as you mentioned, JR, is this... Uh, very long and, and human-intensive process known as billing and coding. Uh, a lot of people refer to this as revenue cycle. Uh, and each touch point in this uh, very horizontal process uh, uh, introduces opportunities for uh, typographical errors, uh, coding issues, uh, mismanagement, misrepresentation of a patient's demographic or insurance data. Uh, and uh, when you zoom out and you think about what this means for a provider, um, roughly one in every $7 spent on healthcare is actually associated with the cost of collecting revenue and other insurance related activities. Uh, and so, you know, uh, there's, our, our, our country spends far more than any other country on healthcare. And if you think about the one in $7 of the 4 trillion that are spent annually uh, in, in the United States on healthcare, 
it's really quite a massive problem. Yeah. And I know from being on the carrier side myself, you know, aside from the occasional bad actors that exist in any industry, a lot of what I saw was, you know, providers trying to make sure that they get paid for the services that they delivered. And meanwhile, insurance companies trying to make sure that they don't entirely lose their shirt and are fulfilling the obligations of their benefit products by approving claims in the right way. And because of how complex all these services and the coding and everything is, it can just be really tricky to agree on what that should be. So it sounds like in addition to, um, you know, just the, the complexity of it, there's a lot of process behind it that can really break down and, and create additional delays and, and cost as everybody tries to get on the same page about what happened here and, and who needs to pay what. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's spot on. Uh, and the the challenge uh, that the provider faces is um, one of number one not knowing uh, exactly when they'll be re- repaid for the services that they've rendered, not knowing if they're going to be repaid for the total amount that they're due. Uh, oftentimes, there are denials that are um, are resulting from from either errors with the way the claim was submitted or errors with the with the way the claim was adjudicated, and. Uh, this game of cat and mouse, as I refer to it, um, essentially elongates the amount of time it takes for a provider to get paid and therefore also elongates the amount of time it takes for a patient to receive their medical bill, right. um, which, as you know, creates a massive patient problem, uh, which, you know, uh, there's there's numerous studies and, and tons of empirical data to support that um, you know, uh, the the burden of, of, of care, of healthcare costs, is among leading cause of financial distress across American households today. And so yeah. um, it's, uh, um, it, it's really a, a challenge that is simply the, the, the gravity of the challenge isn't simply limited to the, the provider, but it's also impacting the patient quite, quite negative, negatively right, as well. Right. So I'm curious if you can tell us in a little bit more detail, like what does the platform do for providers exactly? And what has the real world impact been so far for them? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in traditional revenue cycle, which is what this kind of discipline is known as, uh, there are three phases. There's the front end of revenue cycle, which is the touch point that the patient has with the provider during the patient intake process. There's the mid cycle of revenue cycle, which is the actual coding piece where a um, medical coder is transcribing a doctor's subjective notes into these billable codes that JR so succinctly uh, communicated. And then there's the back end of revenue cycle, which is the actual submission of the claim to the payer and any sort of appeal that needs to take place once the payer's made a decision on uh, uh, an adjudication decision on that claim. Uh, And so that front, mid, and uh, back-end revenue cycle um, process are all among things, or among the, the three areas that the Adonis platform uh, has innovated and is looking to continue to innovate. And so the way we do that fundamentally is by integrating with the medical record. Uh, and so uh, medical record adoption across the U.S. is at an all-time high. So 95% of our nation's providers 
are using some sort of digital medical record, which for those of you who don't um, necessarily know what a medical record is, it's basically a CRM for, for, for your patients. Uh, and so Adonis is able to hook in directly to the electronic medical record at any given provider, given the infrastructure that we've built, and disrupt the front end of revenue cycle by automating the way providers are collecting insurance and eligibility data on the front end and how they're collecting patient demographic information on the front end prior to a patient's visit. And then post-visit, we're using machine learning uh, and a ton of artificial intelligence to take those doctor's notes and transcribe them into the appropriate codes. And from there, um, as we go downstream into the, to the, to the back end of revenue cycle, we're assembling these claims in a very deterministic fashion, where because we've ensured the patient's eligible because we've ensured that the insurance uh, the insurance data for the patient is, is valid and eligible, we can now hydrate this claim document with exactly the right information 100% of the time. Uh, we can uh, ensure coding integrity because uh, machines are performing this job instead of humans who you know ostensibly will make mistakes. Uh, and we can also submit those claims via clearinghouse uh, and ensure that immediately after a payer has made their initial adjudication decision, we can prioritize the way we're appealing claims when they're denied. Uh, and so our platform today is uh, is is 500 times more, 500% more efficient than the incumbent process uh, where humans are essentially doing each one of those, each one of those steps. Um, and that's, that's totally awesome when you think about it. Cause as, as I think about like the whole healthcare system, you've got your hospital system or let's say your provider, you have your health insurer and you have the actual patient. And, and when you take all three of those combined in how they're interacting effectively, there's a lot of inefficiency is what you're, what you're talking about. And you're able to take the human error out of it and the inefficiency out of it, which allows doctors to spend more of their time being doctors and more of their resources as well. It allows insurers to take less administrative burden and making sure that what is submitted to them is correct. And I think there's probably a third piece to it, which is the whole idea. You know, we we talk with a lot of health systems in our roles here at, at patient, and you know, there's the whole side of it that even even from them collecting not just from the insurer but also from the patient there's a lot of of speed bumps or roadblocks in that that end up ultimately having an impact of them not being able to collect what they're owed from a patient so do you see kind of in reducing the inefficiency and all of it do you see kind of that the whole process gets to be sped up and and that's part of what makes the offering additionally compelling Absolutely. Uh, so among the top kind of KPIs that a CFO of any health care organization is monitoring is days and accounts receivable. Essentially, that is the aging of an account uh, from the time of service to the time of remittance. So the number of days that elapse from when Amun sees a doctor to when my doctor actually gets paid for the services that they've rendered. And the longer it takes for these doctors to get paid, uh, the less efficient their operations are. And so by accelerating the, uh, the flow of cash into a provider's organization, um, we're able to bring down uh, a lot of overhead expenses for, for that provider. Uh, to quantify the actual cost to providers today, uh, if you're a healthcare organization that is outsourcing revenue cycle to either an offshore or an, off, uh, or an onshore team, you're paying anywhere 
from 3 to 16% of your top line revenue to that third party firm. Um, so that cost to collect is exorbitantly high. Uh, and the second more alarming uh, statistic is that on average, providers are only seeing about 85% of their revenue because of this denial related leakage. And so the three biggest areas of impact that we're pa- super passionate about driving is number one, reducing that cost to collect um, from that three to 16% number down to sometimes half of that um, because we're using a lot of automation and technology that scales. Uh, number two is improving the net collection rate, basically the uh, percentage of revenue uh, that a provider is seeing as it relates to what they were expecting. And number three, uh, accelerating the accounts receivable timeline and just improving the health, improving the health of that organization's uh, finances. Uh, and what that creates is this externality where patients are getting access to their bills faster uh, because we've innovated the front end of the patient experience. They have more transparency around how much they might pay post visit and whether or not they're eligible. So there's really a lot of benefits that are are achieved by automating this, you know, historically very manual and uh, belabored process. That's so great. And, and that, that really um, speaks to something that I, I wanted to ask more about, which is the consumer experience in this. I know even just from personal experience, you know, having a small outpatient procedure is followed by a series of five to six random bills of varying amounts. No one tells you what to expect or when to expect them. One of them followed me to a different state after I had moved away, like months later. I mean, the the process is pretty chaotic. And I know, you know, at at patient, this is something that we end up addressing with our our card because patients will use uh, the patient card to pay their out-of-pocket portion in full to the provider. And then we give them interest-free, essentially time to repay those balances to us. Um, So providers like us for that reason, but we're only dealing with the out-of-pocket portion. We're not able to solve the larger portion, which is getting paid by the carriers. So I think that's really, really fascinating. I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more about how these changes will ultimately end up impacting the the patient themselves. Does it reduce the number of bills or the time it takes for those bills to arrive? Yeah, uh, uh, a combination of the two. Uh, and the, the way I think about the consumer experience as a patient, it's almost like going into a restaurant, having a five-course meal, not knowing what the cost of each of the courses was, and then six months later, getting a bill for the the meal that you've already consumed—it's—it's it's absolutely bizarre, and it's—it's—it's—it's uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a consumer experience that, uh, you know, is is just unlike any other. And so the 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 challenge is that it's going to continue to get worse before it gets better, mm. and that's because of something that I think uh, the folks at Patient, the fo- uh, your your team is is certainly privy of, and that's the rising deductible. Right. Um, so as deductibles continue to rise. The, the patient responsibility, therefore, is also rising. And so um, accelerating the speed to which, or accelerating the amount of time it takes um, for a patient to actually receive a bill, improving transparency on the front end, um, both combined will allow providers to see more of that patient revenue, but also create a much more, um, a, a much more uh, easy to understand 
uh, and consumer-friendly financial experience. Uh, and so we're super passionate about the kind of externalities of, of accelerating uh, those three KPIs that I, that I explained to you and, and what that means for the patient. Uh, uh, and, it, and it's something that I think, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of really great companies that are, that are trying to solve right now. And, and patients, certainly a company that, that we look up to a lot. Uh, thanks. I mean, I think we just have a lot of, you know, so we have a similar point of view on, on some of these challenges. And I, I love your metaphor there of the, of the restaurant, the meal with no price. Right. And, and it's like six months later, you don't even get one bill. You get a different bill from the waiter and from the dishwasher and the maitre d' and the sommelier. And also there's the, you know, food itself that you have to pay for. It's all billed separately. And, you know, um, so I can imagine, but you know, you, I asked myself, you know, why, why is that? Why is it done that way? It's not because, you know, healthcare is full of a bunch of dummies. They're full of a bunch of the smartest people. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason is because we don't know what services are going to be provided until the doctor evaluates the patient and decides what's necessary. And then at that point, those services, those procedures have to be coded to find out what they might even cost. And so doing, you know, cost estimates and things like that is just like naturally really, really difficult to do. But I can imagine if a provider had confidence about what the code should be and how the carrier would adjudicate those codes, because you're creating a formula that um, and, and that instant feedback with the data, seeing these patterns in the data, that's what, that's what machine learning really unlocks for us is seeing right. all of these patterns. Then all of a sudden you, you have a lot more confidence about saying, this is what we think it will be. And this is when you need to pay it. And I can imagine being able to z- design a much better billing experience for consumers on, on top of something like that. Uh, absolutely. And I think if you look at the, some of the best run companies in the world, they've invested millions and millions of dollars, scores of people, large organizations um, in this discipline known as business intelligence, using an organization's data, their homegrown data, uh, combining that data across all the different operational domains and using that data to help improve decision-making um, so that leaders within that organization can take what that data is telling them to inform what happens next. Uh, and if you think about the healthcare complex, there's very little investment in this discipline known as business intelligence. And so part of what we're looking to spearhead is this renaissance within healthcare revenue um, and, uh, uh, you know, install this idea of revenue intelligence. What can be learned? What can be surmised from the, the millions and millions, if not billions of data points that any given healthcare organization is already sitting on top of? Uh, if you think about you know, the, the variety of codes that a dermatologist office might be billing for, and you think about the 10 or 15 different pairs they may, they may be in network for, there are, only so, there are only so many different permutations of codes and pairs that, um, that uh, you know, exist. Mm-hmm. And so you can study historic data, you can study um, the trends within the systems of record at that given practice, and use predictive analytics to to guide better decision making that again improves the patient experience and improves um, those operational KPIs for the healthcare organization. So, Aman, we've covered a lot. 
This is pretty awesome work that you're doing and you know, really thankful that you're joining us. But before we actually wrap up, I'm really curious and give you an open-ended question here. Uh, is there anything else that we haven't covered that you'd like to touch on? Yeah, I think, you know, we see a world in which the, the, the life of the, of the provider, the job that the provider is, is performing uh, and the experience for the patient is, is improved. Um, so that uh, uh, when, when you zoom out uh, and you think about kind of the, the macro impact of the technology, uh, we're ultimately bringing down the cost of care. So if, if it's cheaper for providers to collect revenue from these third-party payers, if they have more predictability around how much of that revenue they will ultimately uh, collect, um, if they can hire fewer people to have to perform these manual jobs, you're essentially making it easier uh, and you're making it uh, more efficient to run a healthcare organization, which we know is riddled with vast inefficiency. And so as you reduce those inefficiency and you, inefficiencies and you zoom out and you think about the macro picture, um, our hope is that you know, we drive down the cost of care and we improve uh, the care outcomes themselves. Uh, one of the most startling facts is, you know, as um, healthcare costs continue to rise year over year, there isn't actually a demonstrable improvement in healthcare outcomes. And the reason is because the rise of costs isn't associated with improvement in the delivery of care. It's actually associated with, you know, this, this growing inefficiency. And so uh, our hope and our inspiration behind starting this business was to have this this macro impact that uh, is meaningful and, and something that, you know, we're, we're excited about dedicating, um, d- dedicating our, our careers to. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's, that's a perfect note to end on. And, and at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about making a more efficient healthcare system that brings prices down for everybody. And um, I'm really excited to see where this goes for you all. Um, so Aman, you know, thank you at once again for taking the time to join us on, on the patient podcast. Um, what's the best way for listeners to connect with you outside of the show? Uh, so I'm super active on, on LinkedIn. Okay. I, uh, am constantly, um, you know, getting updates from my friends and colleagues on what they're working on and get a lot of inspiration from, uh, their great work. And so shooting me a, a DM or, or a friend request on, on LinkedIn is always great. Getting in touch with us as, as a business, uh, our website, uh, triadonis.com, uh, has a ton of great information on what we're building, ton of great thought um, leadership on on um, our view on, on some of the challenges that I discussed. And so that's a great way to get in touch as well. Okay, awesome. I'm Laura Cave, and this has been The Patient Podcast. If you'd like to share feedback or contact us directly about this episode or any other, drop us a note at podcast at patient.com. That's podcast at P-A-Y-T-I-E-N-T.com. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.